Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Welcome back to another edition of the Internet's Most Dangerous Tottenham Hotspur Podcast. It is Wheeler Dealer Radio, and boy, do we have a hell of a week to talk about this time. There is, I'm not even going to try and summarize it up front. Uh, leave us some reviews on iTunes and Spotify. Go give us uh, a follow on our Twitter account, WDR Podcast. That's WDRs and Wheeler Dealer Radio. And let's talk about Tottenham Hotspur. I can't remember the last time I've been this excited to talk about Spurs, and we've had a pretty good calendar year in 2022. So let's get into it. Let's talk about, we're going to start with Arsenal's 3-0 loss in the North London Derby to Tottenham Hotspur. And joining me to talk about it today, we have coming to us from the wilds of South Florida, assuming he didn't go on a bender and wind up somewhere else. It is Brian Ashlock. Brian, this has got to rank pretty high in good weeks for Tottenham Hotspur, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's right up there with... Um... I mean, have we had a good week ever in the last, like, three or four years? We've had a few. Uh, We've had a few. We didn't lose to nah. Burnley after a big after a big win this time, though, so that was nice. Yeah. No, um, no, it was great. Um, a, a big win in the North London Derby for Spurs is kind of a rarity. So um, just kind of going there and uh, just beating the pants off of Arsenal is fun. Well, them coming here, but, yeah, same difference. Um, right, 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 yeah. Uh, coming to us next, I'm presuming from a seedy motel on the other side of Atlanta because his marriage dissolved in a pool of bitter, bitter tears this weekend. It's Ben Daniels. Ben, how, how's the single life treating you? Look, loser walks. She's in the motel. I have bragging rights. I have the house. <laughs> That's how it, Absolutely. That's how it goes. You know? so she, She'd she, and Mike, she and Mikel Arteta, who have been kicked out of the house after, after this week. Yeah, and troops. How 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 did it go? I know I always want to know about how your marriage after after a North London derby, but like I, I, we'll get into this in a second. That that is certainly and there's honestly been quite a few of them in my years as a Spurs fan, but that is I think the most comprehensive North London derby victory that I've seen. Certainly that I can remember off the top of my head. How did how did it go down in the uh, the Daniels household? Uh, yeah, I mean it went well. Uh, <laughs> I was well, well was for watching. you, but that's that's my definition of well. Um, yeah, we were watching it together. Um, you know, she was quietly seething about the penalty and then furiously in her like group chat, you know, messaging over the red card and all the shenanigans. And my brother was there, too, who's a, a pseudo Spurs fan. Um, and so, yeah, we were just giving her grief. And at halftime, she like went to the next room to like go back to work. It's so, like had her back to the TV and was just like listening. And when the third goal went in, I like looked over to, to see if like it made any impression on her. And she was just like, don't fucking say anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, I kind of takes all the enjoyment out of it. I don't know. Well, that sounds like a lot to enjoy. 
No, you know, I was like, and I was very gracious afterwards. You know, I made it clear to her that I felt very sorry for her. And she's like, no, you don't. You don't mean that. I was like, I'm not sorry that it happened. I'm just sorry <laughs> that you feel bad about what happened. And maybe if you had made different choices in your life, you wouldn't feel so bad. And we can unpack that when you're ready. Which, um, which my, choice are you talking about, Ben? Because there's a couple that could be Well, that's to true. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you didn't interpret it the uh, <laughs> way. But, well, uh, yeah, I was I was just so gracious, and she was so unappreciative. Yeah, is... I, I'm sure that's exactly how that played out. So, getting back to this game, because it was, again, I, certainly, I think, one, one of, if not the most comprehensive North London Derby victories of the last ten years, it was... I was talking to someone before the game about how, honestly, I feel like the Northland Derby has not been a significant fixture since, like, Pochettino's first season. I mean, it's always mattered. I don't mean to say it doesn't have any importance for us as Spurs fans, but it, it for me at least, I don't feel like the game's had a lot of juice since, maybe that's not, not wrong, since that 3-3 where Harry scored the uh, the sort of sideways goal. I feel like that was the last Northland Derby that had some real energy to it. Am I wrong about that? Because this is the first one where, like, I mean, obviously top four, this has huge implications for the Champions League race, and I think that had huge knock-on effects for where each team is going next year. But I I don't feel like this game has had a lot of energy in the last, like, five, six years, and this was a a much different beast than I think what we've become accustomed to. I think you're you're not completely wrong. I think... You know, the the stakes haven't been as high for this match as it has been for, for example, Chelsea over the last like four or five years. Um, I think I've said on the podcast, you know, before that, like, I hate Chelsea more than I hate Arsenal because like those matches have meant something. And those matches have been like very tight, very intense. Um, and then the North London Derby always just kind of feels Aside from it just being like our rival, it just the match itself just always feels like it kind of falls flat. Like it's never we never look that great, or you know, one team the other team doesn't show up, or or whatever the case may be, and they still wind up just being like very dull games. Uh, and this was the exception. This one was great. This was amazing. Well, one team and, didn't show up for this game, so that that's right. Still but bad. they didn't show up in the most hilarious way possible, which <laughs> made it even better. I mean, I don't think it's fair to say that they don't have energy, but they don't really have consequences lately. I mean, we've been just enough better than Arsenal since we've gotten good under Pochettino, and then we've both been kind of irrelevant the last couple seasons. We were never playing for for much. Um, you know, I think we haven't had a lot of, like, big cup matches against them. Like, since that 5-1 on our way to the League Cup in the semifinal, I can't think of another... Another big cup match we've had. Um, De- the one where so- Delhi scored with the outside of his boot was that was like a league cup game, but it wasn't like like a quarterfinal or a semifinal or anything like that. Yeah, so I mean, this is a rare opportunity for us to play Arsenal late in the season with everything on the line, and I mean, you just you can't replicate that energy. Well, I, I think Brian, I, you said energy, but maybe I miss spoke when I was sort of saying what I thought was missing in this game, which was intensity, I think is maybe a better way of putting it. I mean, or ten, or there was some tension to this game that I feel like has been missing for a couple of years now that I think Brian's right has been there in games against Chelsea and even teams like City. Uh, you know, there's been a sort of 
tension in those games that I feel like is missing from the North London Derby. And I think everything about this game, from the way Arsenal decided to try to mug us from the first 15, 20 minutes, to the just the fans being completely wound up, to the way we play. I mean, it was just... I mean, this is how this game should feel, especially with the extremely comfortable 3-0 win by Spurs. But, uh, you know, this was just a game, and I think you're right, Ben. Like, it's been a while since there's been real consequences to this match, or at least immediate consequences. And I think that really helped. And it was just, it just, it was sort of like an old friend coming back, where it's like, oh, that's what this is like. And, you know, right up to like, you know, I was feeling sick before the match, especially when we found out Romero was going to be out. It was just, you know, it was like, I kind of forgot what it was you know i think that 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 three three that we played in like what put you second year like that was the last time it really felt like there were stakes real stakes on the line beyond just bragging rights and you know that it was just not that there's no tension in previous years but this just felt different this was another level and it really lived up to the billing i, I was yeah, I mean, part, partly because we just won comfortably, but yeah, I mean, like it wasn't like an all-time classic. Like we've played some like really great matches, you know, like the four-four with Arsenal, three-three with Arsenal, some of our, you know, our our early wins in this like under like Redknapp and on and onwards. But I think what was like really crazy is we have had our share of stupid North London derby implosions, you know, and like. We have like a flamity double that beat us that one year. Uh, we had the 5-2 where Adebayor got sent off and like flipped the game on its head. Like we have been the team that just completely collapses mentally and, you know, athletically and sportingly. And to see Arsenal do that to us was a rare treat. And, you know, even though they made the game very easy for us, like the fact that they were the ones who cracked under pressure for a change, I think is, is telling. And in terms of like the shifting dynamic in North London. Yeah. And I mean, it really felt like it wasn't going to be Arsenal that did that. Uh, I mean, Greg, Greg talked about, you know, coming into the match, you know, Romero not in the starting lineup. And then the first, what, 10, 15 minutes, Arsenal really had us on the back foot um were really pressing really well and we had Davinson Sanchez playing and I'm pretty sure we were all just waiting for him to screw up a back pass or you know take a stupid touch or try to force one into the middle that just like fell right to any of their attackers and um it just really didn't happen that way um you know the 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 Spurs managed to come back, get a foothold, get more of the ball. Um, obviously, the penalty happens in, what, the 20-something minute, 22 minutes in. The red card happens, you know, 10 minutes after that. Like, um, you know, and, and so those things really changed the game. But, um, yeah, I, I, the first 15 minutes were terrifying because I really just thought, oh, we're going to – they 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 want this more than us, and we don't look like we have an answer. And then all of a sudden, we just did have an answer, and we got some uh, uh, helpful officiating for the first time ever, I think. Um, you know, and uh, and it went from there. It was yeah. I, I think I think we we do this a lot under Conte, where we kind of let the game come to us a little bit too much in the first, in the opening minutes of a match. And then we sort of feel our way into it and assert some control. I think in a lot of discussion around this match that I've seen, I think the 
the the penalty and the red card kind of obscure the fact that I think after about 15 minutes, let's say, I think we were really starting to assert control of the match and Arsenal really sort of ran out of gas. And I think, I, I really think Arteta, I mean, did not do a good job in this game. I mean, the whole, like, have Rob Holding try to wind up Son. I think trying to wind up Son is not a, the worst idea in the world if you're a team like Arsenal. But you're doing that on the road at Spurs, and he's still a finesse player. I, and Rob Holding does not have the subtlety needed for this task, I think. And you could see it. And Clearly. Yeah, I mean, the guy was, I mean, he was just being a thug out there. And, you know, it's like you're just, I mean, that, he was asking for it. I'm sorry. He was asking yeah, I mean, for we've it. All, we've all seen the videos by now, but, like, before the red card, Rob Holding went in on Sun, like, four or five times. And very cynically, very, like, he kicked him in the ribs while he was on the ground, like, he was he was out for blood or just didn't know how to handle a guy as good as Son being as bad as he is and compensated for it by just trying well, to kick the, the shit out of him. But it's guys, crazy. Son tried to elbow holding. He should have been sent off for that. Yeah, would he so. had him in like a figure four on the ground or something. I mean, what was crazy, the, the thing that was really funny, which is like the, the yellow card that got him sent off, which probably could have been a red card on its own, was – not only the most blatant of those fouls, because he just sort of shoulders him in the face while he's running for the ball, but he didn't need to do it. Like, Son wasn't getting on that ball. Like, all holding has to do is block him with his body a little bit. It's not, you know, I mean, it was such a, it was such a bad performance. And I can't, like I said, I understand the idea of, like, you can get to Son. Like, Son is a guy where if you if you wind him up, he will do something stupid. And you, Harry Kane, like, very probably, probably move with it. Move of the game was Harry Kane walking Son away from trying to fight Rob Holding, but it was just you know I don't know if I'm Arteta I don't that's not a game I'm interested in playing because I think it's probably going to end the way that it did maybe a little later in the game, but it was I don't think there's any way that's going to end well for him either Holding's going to get his brains beaten in by Son which is also what was going on and part of the reason I think that he was fouling him so much or B he's going to get sent off I just don't think it's it's a it's a sound strategy and. You know, I, I am honestly the way Arsenal's been grinding out points. I keep thinking, like, am I missing something? Is Arteta actually a good manager? And this game was very reassuring on that front for me because I don't think Arteta is a very good manager, and I think he completely bungled this game. And we haven't even gotten into the Newcastle game yet. So, yeah, I mean, I don't. I think any strategy that's predicated on, you know another human having some like a, a overreaction to you just kicking them a bunch is maybe not like, I, I mean, look, I don't know if it was a spoken or an unspoken portion of the game plan. I don't even know if it was a part of the game plan, but like, uh, it just seems like not the best way to like win a football match. For example, like, you know, I, I can understand if you're like, Hey, he's going to beat us a bunch. So you got to be tight to him. And if he does get away, just foul him. And, you know, if that's the strategy, that's fine. That's totally fine. Kick us. Whatever. We're going to kick you, too. Um, but, yeah, I didn't – nothing – no adjustments that Arteta made after the red card um, really seemed to change things up for them. Like, you know, I understand there's only so much you can do with 10 men, and you've already been theoretically, like, screwed over by another refereeing decision that you disagree with. But, like – they they just quit like there wasn't they that's how bad we were beating them they just gave up and nothing they did 
change that. Yeah. And like, as you know, I, I think they could probably feel a little aggrieved by the penalty. Like it's a kind yeah. of foul that is a penalty, but like doesn't get called a lot and whatever. But like as a team who has been on the other end of some dubious penalties, you know, like you just got to keep playing. Like it was early enough. There's plenty of time to like get your heads right and play the game. And they just did not. Well, on that, I know it's not what the penalty got called for, or at least not entirely, but like, you know, like right immediately after what was the penalty call, like Cedric and Holding are doing like a tag team finisher on Sun, like where someone's cutting out his legs while the other person hits him in the head. It's like, I, I don't know what they're thinking. Like, you know, you're going to get called for something if you just keep fouling them. Yeah, unless you're Aston Villa, but. Yeah, I just, you know, I'm with Ben. I think that that eight or nine times out of ten, you don't get that penalty call. Um, And, you know, I I think we said at the time that it felt kind of like a makeup call because I don't think, at that point, I don't even think Holding had gotten his yellow, his first yellow yet. And so, like he, I think it would had just he just kicked Sun in the side like a few minutes before that. And I think in our chat we were all like, "Oh, we got a makeup call, and ours is better." Um, and then he subsequently sent holding off, so it worked out great. The flip, the flip side of that is, you know, Cedric does that to him at the halfway line. It's a free kick. So I mean, are you? Yeah. I don't disagree with you. I'm just saying, like, that is one of those ones that we so rarely see called, and it's in a situation where, you know. What what is Sun doing there? Uh, you know, what's he gonna do with that? Like, it's almost one of those situations where, like, a penalty as the reward for getting fouled in that location seems harsh. But those are the fucking rules, and like you said, it's probably a foul anywhere else on the pitch. And you know, it worked in our favor this time, and that's great. You know, like we had to suffer through the Champions League final with you know. Uh, Mane kicking the ball at uh, Musa Sissoko's arm or shoulder, and it's just like if that's a penalty, then surely we can get a gift every once in a while. Is that what's going on this week? Is karma finally turning? Yeah, the wheel yeah, finally you know, turned for Spurs. Yeah, I mean, and eventually, you know, that'll mean you know that Manchester City will beat us undeservedly because of VAR. And, you know, <laughs> that's fine. It's fine. Um, you know, there has to be balance in the universe. I, I want to talk about Spurs players, but before I get into that, and I, we're going to come back to that later, so maybe I should just do this all about, uh, save this for then. But I do want to, Ben, as someone with a unique insight into Arsenal, how psychologically devastating was this loss for them? Because between Arteta's sort of just losing the plot in his post-match press conference, where he's doing his best Jose Mourinho impression, like, and what happened against Newcastle like today as we're recording this, like. I, I don't know. This team, I feel like this really was a gut punch for this team that they were not prepared to handle. I mean, as we saw today or yesterday in the Newcastle match, they clearly were not meant to be. Was that equipped. yesterday? Oh, God. You're right. oh, okay. Time has no meaning. Never mind. So, yeah, I mean, I think they definitely weren't mentally good. But, like, for the fans, it's like for such a silver spoon in their mouth kind of team, they have, like, they want to be martyrs. They like have this like deep, deep desire to be hard done by the world. And like for a team that's like maybe actually cursed, 
you know, it's like funny to see the team that has so much more than us and is squandering it, like getting off on on how badly they got screwed over. Like they need that. They think they need that feeling. It's just this like endless self-flagellation is is more is more valuable to them than than top four. Well, I, I was uh, the last bit of a little Arsenal chat for now. I, I, I found out today, I, I don't know how many other Spurs fans have listened to this, but I, fa- I, I heard the Mikel Arteta song for the first time today, which explicitly talks about how he's taking them back to the Champions League, which is, going back to what you said, Ben, like, what an insane silver spoon mentality. Like, I, I don't understand how any, like, if Spurs fans sung out about Conte, I would have, like, flown to England to, like, slap people in the face. Like, you like, how are you just, like, tempting fate like that for an entire season? Like, I, I don't that, – that's that's crazy. And maybe that's the reason everything that's happened this week has happened to them. Yeah, flying a little, little too close to the sun there, boys. <laughs> to the Hungman sun, in this case. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think we're going to leave leave the Arsenal chat there for now. I, I think Spurs were great. I think five stars all around for them in this Arsenal game. I think Son is the real star player here. Uh, he just, I mean, he only got the one goal, but man, that guy was a menace all day, and Arsenal just couldn't handle him. I mean, he's really just super fun to watch, and I'm very happy we signed him to an extension, and I'll worry about sell-on value some other fucking day, because he's just, he's just such a phenomenal attacker. And again, represents, I think I've said this before on this podcast, I think no player better represents the power shift in North London than Son. Because I think he's exactly the kind of player that Arsenal used to sign back when, you know, they were sort of in their pomp. And now he's at Tottenham. And isn't it wonderful? No, I thought he was great on the day. And I, th- I think he was our best player. Other than I Ben mean, White. A lot- <laughs> wrong game. Right. Uh, but it's our season uh, I'm Rob talking holding. about. But yeah, Rob, there we go. Rob Holding. Thank you, Ben. Yeah, I mean, a lot of players really acquitted themselves very, very well in this match. And I think... Sun for just completely destroying them with the penalty and red card. Like, that's the game right there. You know, I don't think anything else matters. But I think we'd be remiss not to talk about guys like Davidson Sanchez, who has not played in a really long time, or certainly hasn't started in a really long time, and who nobody was excited to see on the team sheet. Um, acquitted himself really, really well, um, you know, on both ends of the pitch. He defended yeah, he had well. A he had a hockey assist in the third goal. Uh, yeah, you know, great showing. Royale again, Sessegnon again, were playing, you know, very well. Um, Hoybjerg and Betancourt in midfield also, you know, had a level of, like, control and progressiveness to their games that we don't always see. Um, you know, Kane scored the most perfect penalty I've ever seen. Um, like, it looked at, it was going wide until it tucked perfectly in at the near post. Just unsavably um yeah everybody was great i mean the davinson pass into kane for that the sun goal is i've never seen him hit the ball well first of all where he intended it to go and (laughs) and second of all just like to to have you know that level of confidence in your ability to be like yeah, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna make a 30-yard pass into the uh, into the other team's penalty box. I can do that. You've never done that before, Davinson. Um, have have we amazing. ever seen him that far up the field when there wasn't a, like a set piece or a or a quarter kick? 
Definitely, definitely. He played fullback for a couple games. Um, but, you know, like, um, yeah, it was just really good. Like, I don't know. It wasn't it wasn't Romero level good, but he did a reasonable approximation of some of the stuff that Romero does. Like he did wander forward. He did have the night pa- nice pass into Kane. You know, he doesn't like wildly stay forward or become a magical center forward at times. Um but he did fine. Um, I thought it was actually probably one of his better performances since Pochettino's left the club. Um, and he's gotten a lot of run out in the last few years. Um, so I, I was really pleased with how it actually turned out, even though like the first 10 minutes, every time they went at him, I was just like holding on for dear life. Even then when Arsenal were kind of on top, it didn't, you know, I mean, you were worried about it because we're worried about it. But like, I mean, if you didn't, if you were watching the game, if you came down from outer space and never watched Spurs before, you would have, first of all, been like, why are they kicking a ball around? But after that, you would have, you wouldn't have realized he was a huge liability for the team. Well, it definitely did seem like early on they were trying to force us to funnel the ball to him. Um, like in those first 10 or 15 minutes where Arsenal are kind of, they are kind of shading everybody so that we had to pass it to Davinson. And then it seemed like they were content for him to have it. And they're like, just picking up off whatever mistakes he would make. And um, he misplaced a couple of passes early on, but I think um, once he got into the flow of the game, uh, Spurs started to calm down more as well. And, 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 you know, we never really looked back. I mean, like, even when Arsenal were on top, they were limited to a couple pot shots from distance. They only had one shot in the box in the first half, and that was after they were already 2-0 down. Like, but they were, they had the ball a lot, and they seemed dangerous because it's always scary when the team is just, like, camped out outside your box. But they weren't doing anything. And, yeah, everybody did a really good job limiting them to a bunch of jar- garbage. Ben, you said you, you mentioned this earlier that just the sort of mental collapse happening on the other side. I think that's what was so impressive to me about this game is there was so much pressure loaded onto this game. You know, Spurs sort of got enough at Liverpool not to be a disaster, but not enough to keep themselves in the driver's seat. Arsenal were in control again. You know, I feel like we've all been here before, and the way that we just held our nerve and Arsenal completely fell apart at every possible level from the players on the pitch to their manager. It's just, I, I loved seeing it because I, you know, I feel like I haven't seen it. I haven't seen this kind of buckling against us in a high pressure situation in a very long time from them. And it was, it was, it's honestly incredible to watch. And the, the way it sort of had knock on effects for them is just amazing because I'm so used to just them grinding out late season top four finishes when we're competing directly with them for the spot from back in the early 2010s. I mean, we, you know, we were belittled as putting the pressure on for season after season. That's all we were good for was putting the pressure on. And this is the first time putting the pressure on has actually led to the other team collapsing so we could take advantage of it. Um, (laughs) And like, yeah, it's nice to see us have that fight and dig deep from a position of weakness and, you know, then be in the driver's seat and blow it. It's it's good. It's It's great. Makes me very happy. And you're all alone in your castle. A very happy man. That's right. 
Uh, I think what was sort of equally impressive, sort of moving on a little bit, is we had a very short turnaround and a stomach virus situation. Again, showing how far we've come as a club, and we handled it really well against Burnley. I was, I, I don't think it was maybe our most domineering performance. I think Burnley was extremely lucky that this game wasn't tucked away by the 70th minute, but you know Pope kept him in it, and I mean. I think Spurs, I think it was actually really impressive how well Spurs managed the last like 10 minutes of this game. Like, I mean, we were all, ner- like you said about Arsenal's first 15, you're nervous because they're outside the box. But I mean, it was a really, I thought, professional performance from Spurs. Another great penalty from Harry Kane. And that's all we needed. I mean, we saw this game out in a way that, you know, I mean, it was nervy just because you knew what could happen. But we really, again, like, I'm sure we had games like this under Pochettino, but it was just such a professional performance in a way that we don't always get from this team. Yes, Brian. Yeah. I mean, it was, I was trying to figure out if I was muted or not. Shut up. Um, (laughs) I mean, it was also like a very boring game. Like the second half necessarily. No, no, no. Um, the second half of that game was, I don't know, one of the least watchable halves I've seen of Spurs in a while. Um, but it didn't have to be watchable because we had the goal and um, we just had to not screw it up. I mean, um, Son almost scored two worldies in the second half and, you know, they were fortunate that both of them didn't go in. Yeah, yeah we had and, 21 shots. Like, we were not like... You know, it wasn't one of those games where we just didn't do anything against, like, a low-block opponent. Yeah, I don't know. I just wanted more excitement. Uh, you know, I wanted the 3-0 thrashing. You know, I want because, you know, you guys are Spurs fans. You'll understand. If it's still 1-0, there's a way that we can screw it up. Yeah. You know? And so, in a game where, I don't know, we could have scored more didn't you were just waiting for the other shoe to drop the entire time and so it's like frustrating um especially when you know we all knew that a result in the north london derby didn't necessarily mean we could get fourth like there were still ways that we could screw it up and you know one of those ways to screw it up would be to lose to burnley or to draw with burnley but that's or what i anything, mean anything really what was stressful about this game was the theoretical thing. It's sort of like the idea of what could happen. It wasn't, by and large, what was happening on the pitch. Fair. You know, but I think the fact that we didn't just beat the shit out of Burnley and got through thanks to another dubious penalty call, as some would say, um, just adds more fuel to Arsenal's paranoid delusions about everything not being their fault and some grand conspiracy handing the Premier League's favorite son, Tottenham Hotspur. <laughs> like that's, that's apparently a thing that they believe now. Um, you remember that season, like a couple seasons ago where we didn't get a single penalty <laughs> and no Premier League team had ever had that happen to them before. Yeah. The referees love us guys. And, like, incidentally, Arsenal have still won two more penalties than we have over the course of the season. So, calm down, boys. Uh, but, yeah, it's great. It's just, it's, just, it's just funnier this way, frankly. Now, watching Arsenal sort of realize their little brother now in real time has been really kind of exciting for me. Because, <laughs> like, 
their their sort of lack of awareness is what I feel like defines them as a fan base. And like it's get, I feel like what's going on right now is pretty hard to talk yourself out of. I mean, how many years has it been in a row since since Spurs have finished above Arsenal? Assuming we got it done this year. 16, 2016, I think. The yeah, right, year. it was Lester, a sash year. It was the last time they finished above us. So Right, the season Leicester won the title, and we finished third in a two-horse race. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, and what's, what's funny How's about it is awesome. they, all they had left was defining their club by virtue of their their relation to us. So, you know, that's why it's so fucking funny. But, oh, it's just – it's it's so delightful. Um, that Newcastle performance was extremely bad. I mean, again, not to turn this into an Arsenal podcast, but, you know, they did get battered everywhere they went. Every, everywhere they went this week, they got battered. So I think it's a little worth discussing. I, they had I, – I mean, I understand that Newcastle – I have a fairly distorted view of Newcastle because the only time I've really watched them this calendar year is when we beat the shit out of them. But, like, I don't know. The way this Arsenal team is just, like – like team after team has just rolled over for them. I just had no inclination to think this was going to be any different. And they didn't even put up a fight, man. I mean, it's just like, I, I don't know. I, I guess we broke them or something, but it was, it was not good. It was very not good. And, you know. I mean, Newcastle's been pretty good since Howe took over. Um and I think the, one of the stats that they flashed up during the broadcast was in their last seven home matches, they've won six and lost one. And I think the one they lost was either City or Liverpool. So, you know, um, they're not bad under under Howe. And, um, you, know, <laughs> you know, Arsenal were... They had some bad injuries that, you know, occurred during the North London Derby. And so they had some kind of half-fit players. And then, uh, I mean, I don't know. The the Ben White own goal is unfortunate, I guess. But, you know, uh, they were Newcastle were getting tons and tons of chances. And and there's another game where, where Arteta's in-game management is incredibly weird. I think they wound up with, like, every attacker they own on the field. Um, and like two defenders and I, I don't know. It's just, it was great. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. His only idea was sub off defenders, put on attackers. That'll make it better. But no, to be fair, to be what fair, the shape is, there was a lot of games. We just wanted to see that happen at Spurs, but we were not professional managers. So, I mean, look, there's ways to do it. There's ways to do it. <laughs> yeah. I guess Pepe doesn't really count as an attacker. So. No, and yeah, I mean, I think I mean Newcastle had triple the expected goals of Arsenal on the day. They outshot them, sixteen to eleven. They were just they had more of the ball. They just were on top the entire game. Um, and I don't know, I don't know what happened. Like the only like Newcastle has been very good since January. They have, I think, they're in like the top four if the season started in January. Their only big loss are to us and Man City and and Liverpool. And they've pretty much beaten or drawn everybody else they've come up against. And so for Arsenal to be in the company of the garbage teams and not the good teams um, that Newcastle have faced is is very funny. And then 
particularly seeing the way Arsenal got here by rolling up Chelsea, Man U, West Ham, like they're hard games only to blow it at the second to last match of the season against a Newcastle with nothing to play for, who looked just miles more prepared, better organized, higher intensity. It's just great. It's just so great. Well, and, you know, they, they give us lots of fun things to talk about. Like, you know, look at this match against, uh, you know, Spurs and Newcastle. What did they have in common? Like, they had, they had atmosphere. They had fans chomping at the bit and, you know, playing at the Emirates every week. That's probably a new experience for these Arsenal, these young Arsenal players, you know, that they, that, you know, which is why they'll go to City where they don't have to deal with it either eventually one day. But, yeah, it's just been – just watching them employ is great. And I think it's actually – really interesting because you you watch both the run-ins of the season and sort of take this back to Spurs. You know, Spurs had some really bad hiccups uh, against Brighton and um, who's the other team we drew? Brentford uh, that we dropped points against. And, you know, Arsenal sort of had, they, they dropped their points in the weeks before that. But we handed them back control. I mean, we really did give Arsenal everything. And Spurs kind of needed to sort of run the rest of the season perfectly. We've done a really good job, especially considering, you know, we've had Liverpool, we had Arsenal in short order. I mean, we have, I think, I think Conte's, and we've talked about this before, I think Conte's just got this team playing so well. And then he's got it doing it this well with, you know, with Romero's out now. He hasn't had a fullback, he hasn't had anything resembling a wingback on the right in like two months. You know, he's got Sessegnon, who I, I know a lot of Spurs fans like Sessegnon. I think there's potential there. But, you know, a player who runs very hot and cold. Um, you know, I, I think he's doing a hell of a job. And I, I just think, you know, I mean, there's some stuff in the Times this week about how he wants like six new players in this summer, eight new players in, something like that. Even with a turnover, I mean, you just got to be really impressed with what Conte's done with Spurs this year. And I think... I think this week really puts it in stark relief because the, the way they were able to handle teams like not just teams like Liverpool and Arsenal, which are big emotional games, but also the way they took care of business against Burnley on a day where not everything was really going our way. I mean, how many times have we seen, you know, the other team's keepers sort of stand on our head and in our frustration, we end up blowing the match. It's, you know, I Conte, I, I heard this on, I think the athletic Spurs podcast, but, and I think we, it's probably been said in lots of other places, but you know, what Levy, I don't know what he, why he thought he was getting this with Jose Mourinho, but that's sort of like really savvy manager who could really maybe take this team to another level. Like, I, I think he's gotten it with Conte. I think everything he thought he was getting with Mourinho we're actually seeing with Conte. Yeah, I mean, unlike Mourinho, Conte has like won things in recent memory mm-hmm. and isn't just a cranky, washed up, bitter old man. He's still clearly at the peak of his powers. But he's taking that, like, I mean, he's got that, that like, professional winner thing or whatever the hell Mourinho called himself. Like, Conte is actually that. Yeah, there you go. That is actually what Conte is, and we're seeing it in action, and it's really impressive. Well, he hasn't won anything here yet, so. Hey, he won the North London Derby. That's a good start. There you go. I mean, there's no reason Conte. He won our hearts. There's no reason Conte should be at Spurs. Like, just no reason. He is a one very reason. good manager. There's one reason. It's Ed Woodward. <laughs> That's the reason. Thank you, Ole. Um, but, like, he, he's too good to be working in a project like this. Like, he 
is coming off of a league title at Inter, their first in many years, and is a guy who wins titles and should be somewhere winning a title with another team right now. And instead, he is rebuilding Tottenham. And, like, that should not have been allowed to happen. World football should have realized (laughs) that this guy is better than most of their managers. And they somehow didn't. And it's great. I'm very happy. But, like, we're just incredibly fortunate to have a guy who is this good at his job and this accomplished in this job at Spurs. Even though his histrionics are a lot to deal with. It is. It's kind of weird with Conte, considering his histrionics and considering that he does – he's clearly a manager who likes a transfer budget. He has a history – I mean, since he's become an elite manager, not before like Klopp, um, but mm-hmm. since he's become an elite manager of working for with really flawed teams, like that first Juve team that he took over was really sort of coming out of the Calciopoli doldrums. Uh, he took over like probably the worst Italian national team in an, in a dog's age and made them really good. I mean, he took over an inter team that needed a lot of work. I mean, you know, not every team he comes into is this like sort of flawed island of misfit toys in the way that spurs and some of those others were but it's just it's interesting that of all the sort of elite managers in the world we like we know that conte is sort of the best at getting a tune out of a flawed squad and it's because he's one of the only of those managers who actually ends up working with flawed squads yeah i mean we're gonna feel very differently about um this if we lose on sunday but yeah, yeah. sure um conte's great for the next few days and um you know he's probably not going to be winning a league title at psg if we if we win um so yeah i i think you're right though greg like overall like he he does have a tendency to um work on like projects like he i mean you know look the chelsea management aside he doesn't go to super teams you know, like well, you Juve, know, I mean, I mean, but Juve, like team. you said, wasn't that at that point, like they become that under Allegri, I think. Um, and, and it's built on the, the groundwork that Conte lays. And, you know, the, the like I said, the Chelsea thing aside, like Inter were. I don't think particularly close to winning a title before he got there. You know, and and he gets there and they basically ran away with it. Like they had it locked up in April, I think. Um, took and, him a year, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. So it took. He, he has his first season there. He gets everybody, you know, going in the right direction. He signs his bunch of old guys in the summer, including like Ashley Young. Um, and and then all of a sudden, the next year, they just basically walk the league. And. Um, I don't know that that's what's going to happen here with Spurs, but um, if if this is what we're doing, you have to be confident about it. Yeah, I mean, I think you're. it's a good point that he hasn't inherited title winners and just managed them well. He has built title winners. And, you know, I, I don't think anybody that he has played against in his previous seasons has had – opposition like Man City and Liverpool, you know, kind of firing at the level that they are. Like, it's a huge lift to get Spurs better than those teams, especially when we haven't even gotten into the top four this season. But it does make you want to, like, 
dream a little bit that like this is something that he can do for us like he has done for other teams. Like even that Chelsea team, even though they weren't that far removed from winning the league, the season before he took over, they finished like 10th. They were they were in a very down year under Jose. Um, and he immediately turned them back into a title winner, you know, the next season. Like he he's just he just does that. And I don't know. I mean, surely not, right? It's like, surely not. Uh, you know, Ben, I got I, maybe I'm delusional. Maybe I felt this way under Pochettino. I mean, but when when he when, when Spurs are like firing, when they're in full gear against you know a team like Liverpool or City or even you know what we were doing against Arsenal, you know the lower dregs of the league. Like, it's hard not to think that, at least for me. I'm sure I'm getting drunk on the moment, but it is hard not to let your your mind run away with, like, boy, if a few things don't go Liverpool or City's way next year, you know, as they sign Erling Holland, but and, – and, you know, Luis Diaz looks to be worth the money. It's 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 Maybe that's a delusional thing to think, but, God, when Spurs are good under Conte, they look – I mean, they look fantastic. And, you know – Especially like, okay, he's going to get a preseason. He's going to have a transfer window. It's like, it's it's hard not to let your mind start racing. And especially, but it's, I mean, it's, like you said, Ben, it's sort of on its face a little silly because look at City, look at Liverpool. They're so good. But also, I, God, we look awesome when we look good. And I mean, I think next season is going to be such a weird season with the the, the mid-year World Cup and like, what happens during that time? Like who's fit, who's not fit, who comes out of the tournament feeling run down? Like, you know, I don't know. Do comes out of the tournament able to play football? Right. Yeah. You know, does Harry Kane like run himself into the ground in England losing a World Cup final? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Like, or does Kevin De Bruyne do the same thing for Belgium? Does you know? Uh, I, I I can't. Does Erling Holland pull like? I don't know. Are they even in the world? I don't, Cup? Not in it. I don't think. Oh, no. fuck. All right. Well, um, but you know, like, you he know, still might they, pull a muscle watching it. So they, he might, um, you know, look there, there's a lot of variables next season. And I think having a manager that has a very clearly defined plan and seems to work so well um, with, with what he's given I'd back Conte to to do well next season over any other have had, and certainly over some of the manage, other managers in the top flight. Um, you know, like I don't know Arteta, for example. Maybe in Tuchel, honestly, um, Tuchel. Um, so I don't know. I, it's gonna be it's gonna be weird. It's really gonna be it's gonna be interesting. I don't want to like talk too much about it in glowing terms because it's still Spurs. We could still screw it up. Um, like, you know, and then we're going to all sound, we're going to be back here this time next week. And we're going to be like, wow. I think, just- I think we've done a good job at not having too much triumphalism over the thing we're playing for on Sunday. I think we're all just sure. feeling good about where it's all headed in the next season. I mean, look, even if I think on the balance of the season, we deserve top four because we're better than Arsenal. Like we are. If we don't beat or draw a team that has won five times all season and is already relegated and is just completely terrible, like we don't deserve top four. Like we really yeah. don't. Like yeah. that's that's that. But you know, we may be going into an off season where everything looks 
great on paper for us. I mean, James already kiboshed any like transfer talk. Yeah, and I mean, you know, we saw really like last season was kind of the perfect storm of like shitty reasons for players not to sign with us. You know, you had Pau Torres coming out and being like, I want to play in the Champions League. Why would I go to Spurs? And then you had Antonio Conte himself being like, well, I don't know if you're going to have Harry Kane, so why would I want to come to Spurs? And, you know, now we have Harry Kane and we have Antonio Conte and we will probably have Champions League football and so you ha- there, there's no factors now working against us. Like, now the, the things that we needed, the intangible stuff, is in place. And so now we have to do the money thing. And the, does Paratici do it? Do, does Levy open the checkbook? Like, those are going to be the big questions of this summer. And I don't believe that we're going to sign eight player, players. I don't believe six players. Um, if we sign three or four, I think that'd be amazing for Spurs, but it's going to be an interesting summer. Ben, I want to talk, we talked last week just sort of about the roller coaster and exhaustion of emotions with, with Spurs, um, particularly in regards to you, but I don't know. I feel like the way the past week has gone has been like, I mean, we've had some good games in the last couple of years and I think this calendar year has been pretty good, all things considered, but I don't know. This is this is this feels like I mean this almost feels like the the good old Pochettino days with the way you know from from sort of the Liverpool Arsenal Burnley with what's happening with Arsenal all all at the same time I mean it's been I don't know it's like especially maybe because it's just looking more like Conte is going to be here next year so the good times might keep on rolling but it feels a little different since we've had this conversation doesn't it are we just prisoners of the moment <laughs> I mean yeah like last week talked about this we had just thrown away our initiative while Arsenal beat some very decent teams and it's hard right now to see how this roller coaster goes off the tracks you know coming into the home stretch but the 5-1 Newcastle loss is still very fresh in all of our memories like we know this can happen um Musa Suzuko can come back to haunt us one last time <laughs> he's gonna sign for Norwich he's gonna sign for <laughs> Norwich before Sunday yes um, I'm so glad we're not playing relegated Watford with Mr. Suzuko on the last day. That would that would really give me a panic attack. Um, but yeah, well, I mean, I mean, Musa Suzuko and relegated Watford are playing Chelsea, so maybe he could do us a solid. And if Chelsea lose to what Leicester, they play Leicester, and then if they lose to Watford, maybe we finish third. Yeah. How cool would that be? That I don't would know. Be I'll take what I can That'd get. Be take, that would be stupid. great, but I'll take what I can get. I'm not greedy. I'm not greedy at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's no, there's no prize in third other than it's funny. So I'll take that. But. Does, does anyone have any sort of thoughts beyond nervous energy about about Sunday's game? Like, I don't have any particular. I, I don't think Norwich is well equipped to beat us in any way. Like. <laughs> I mean, not to like say it can't happen. Not to say that it can't happen. My only thought is just general nervousness that it could go wrong because I'm a Spurs fan, which is not, again, much like we were talking about the Burnley game. It's not based in reality as much as just nerves. So I don't know if you guys have any thoughts about the game other than that. I mean, or- they drew with Wolves at the weekend, and they scored. That was the first time they'd scored a goal since March 13th. 
No, I'm sorry. They scored some. They scored against uh, Manchester United in April. So it had been about it been about that a month count. since they scored. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, if we lose to them, like Ben said, it's going to be um, not great. Uh, but they've basically rolled over for everybody for the last month. So please do it for us. It's just been. This has been. Uh, this has been probably the craziest season of, of of Spurs that I've lived through. I don't know about you guys. You've been doing it a little bit longer than me, but just the highs and lows. Like, could you re- like? I know everything feels this way after the pandemic, but like, remember when Nuno was our manager? That was less than a year ago. That feels like twenty years ago at this point. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a crazy season across the board. I mean, going into the last week, the titles in play, top fours in play. Europa League's in play, relegations in play, like everything is still up in the air, and like that never happens. Yeah, yeah. usually somebody's locked up the title by now, and it's it's weird that that we're something settled at least. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a potential for a lot of craziness, and I don't want to be the ones who are contributing. Yes, the Spurs could just settle this game very early, or at least put a couple goals between us and Norris. That would make me very happy. Yeah, I don't want to have to be watching, like, the goal zone thing where we're flipping back and forth between highlights and, like, what's happening in the Arsenal game? How are they doing? Like, I just, I I want it to be dead. The only thing I want to care about in the second half is will Son get the golden boot? That That is the only thing I want to care about in the second half. Yeah. It would be funny if we lost Norwich and Arsenal lost Everton <laughs> in, like, you know, dramatic late fashion. That would be the yes. stupid best. There was, there was a lot of talk, uh, I feel like, before Arsenal blew this game against Newcastle of, like, oh, what if uh, the way we get in the Champions League is Deli Alley scores a winner or ties it up against Arsenal at the last minute? And I'm just – I'm so happy that that's not something I'm going to convince myself in. in like, I'm – I'm not going to have to talk myself into that in the middle of the match because I absolutely would have if that's what we needed Arsenal to lose. I mean, Deli Alley's not going to play, so it's not going to happen. No, you're right. I mean, speaking of, out of curiosity, since we're on this podcast, do you guys think Everton's going to get relegated? Because that sure was a gutless display this past weekend. (sighs) I don't know. I mean, all the teams down at the bottom are so bad. I mean, Everton still have another game midweek against Crystal Palace where they could make themselves pretty safe. Um, could. So, could being the operative word. Yeah. I mean, and so did Burnley. Um, yeah. yeah I, I don't know. I think Leeds have just been so bad lately, it's probably going to be Leeds. We're all pulling for it to be Burnley, though, right? I don't think it will be, but I think we're all pulling for Burnley, right? Like, get them out of the top flight. Yeah, I think of the three... That or Everton going down. Like, I, I don't feel a particular way about Leeds. And maybe it's because, you know, I wasn't a f- football fan or a Premier League fan in the early 2000s and all through the 90s. So I don't I don't have anything that I don't like about them. Um, so I don't know. I'm fine with them sticking around, but definitely not Burnley. Yeah, like Leeds are Leeds are fun. They try to play football like. They've been bad this season, but they've had a lot of injury problems and, you know, Bielsa getting sacked and getting replaced by some American fraud hasn't been helpful. Um, but Burnley have just been like a blight on this league for such a long time that 
even without Sean Dyche, I don't. I just don't want them around anymore. <laughs> even without the worm eater, we don't need. We don't yeah. need them around. I mean, he'll get a job somewhere. He'll be back in the Premier League. Yeah, he's year. like Big Sam. For, he's like Big Sam, the next generation. It's he'll just never go away. Um, yeah, it's gonna be an exciting final day. Yeah, you're right, Ben. This is not. We we very rarely had this much going on in the final league, final game of the season. Uh, I hope we are the least interesting part of it. Yeah, let's just get in, and do our job, and then we can go watch all the fireworks elsewhere. Uh, normally, I'd wrap up right here, but we haven't made a single joke about Arsenal uh, postponing the match and it biting them in the ass. So <laughs> I don't want to let this podcast pass without giving everyone a chance to make it say something about that because fuck them. I mean, you know, we wouldn't have had if they played this when it was originally scheduled, we, they wouldn't have had Kulashevsky. We wouldn't or we wouldn't have had Kulashevsky. We wouldn't have had Romero. We wouldn't have had uh, we wouldn't have yeah, Some we wouldn't have had Son. Like, oh, it's so great. I hate him so much. What a bunch of assholes. Yeah, fuck him. I mean, you know, <laughs> it was so, it was so important that we had to get the, the match postponed because they had, what, no positive COVID cases in the first team? The, they, had the, they, they had one. They had one. It was like Cedric had COVID. Okay, and then they just, they what, they literally just loaned out or sold Maitland Niles. They'd literally just sold um, Obama what's Yang. his name? Obama Yang and then a couple of other like fringe players had been loaned out. It's just like well, that's a that's cool. a ridiculous thing. I didn't realize like what's Cedric gonna how's Cedric gonna give anyone that's like COVID like breathe on their knees? Like, you know like the guy's like three foot whatever. Like how's he gonna give anyone COVID? Totally ridiculous. God, I hate Arsenal yeah, I mean, it was very much like the perfect example of that, like, me sowing, me reaping tweet. <laughs> it is. Because they felt so smug about about getting this game postponed, and it just could not have bitten them in the ass harder. It was also... Ben, are you recording from a highway this week? There's a highway near my house. I'm on oh, the porch. Okay. I figured it was a good time for a cricket reunion. <laughs> uh, We're bringing back all you the know, greatest. Bring us back to the good old days. So one last thing, and then we will wrap it up because it's it's another golden oldie, but it's something I think I, a lot of Spurs fans, at least American Spurs fans, talk about. It's like, oh, who do you actually hate the most? And this match really reminded me of just like Liverpool's kind of like an ominous, like not ominous, but they're like a constant presence in like sort of the media discourse that is very irritating for all the reasons that we all know Liverpool are irritating. But Jesus Christ, this match reminded me how fucking annoying Arsenal always is. Like I. I, I really, really dislike And, uh, like, Arteta has reached, like, a level of loathsome I did not think. W- like, I was just sort of mad at people, like, overrating Arteta for the last couple of years. But, God, he was an obnoxious little bastard at this match. It's so – and it's such a team full of hateable little fucks. Yeah, like, yeah, they got, like, a couple of nice young players. But they also have a lot of hateable pieces of shit on this team. It is – I don't know. It was a nice reminder of just what a loathsome club they are. I still hate Chelsea more. I don't know. I just, I don't know. I mean, they're both awful, but. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, you, I didn't, I don't think that anything Arteta said after the Spurs match made me, like, find him more or less loathsome. Like, that is, you know, that's the type of stuff that, like, Wenger or Pep or Mourinho or whoever would say. And the fact that he was just, like, 
more stupid about it than them is yeah but it was like, like, like fits with my narrative of who he is as a coach like the difference is is like jose or wenger at least have like a bravado and gravitas to to those kinds of like petty little diatribes that like are calculated and like come from a place that, that's like earned a little bit on their reputations sure. and their records arteta was just like it's just like a snivelly little weasel just like being a little bitch. And the difference between that post match that Arsenal fans were like, oh, what a what a hero. He's like taking it all on on himself and the refs and you know protecting his players. Which is stupid. But his post match against Newcastle was just like he was just a shattered, broken little man. And that like he doesn't have the cojones to like pull a kind of press conference like he did after Spurs because the next game revealed that he is just just a sad empty shell in a gap sweater. <laughs> no, it was, it, you're Conte, right. I was just say Conte gave great interviews afterwards and showed 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 uh, Arteta exactly how you don't complain but do complain. You know, like you know, you just gotta wait like three days for your next match and be like, well, I didn't say anything about Fabinho, but like that guy's a real prick, right? <laughs> uh, you know, like you just gotta be, you know, you gotta be more subtle about it. You have to have a, a game plan, a plan of attack. You, you gotta wait for your moment. Now, watching Arteta do that it was like watching a ten-year-old put on his father's suit. It was just like you are not capable of this. Like, don't even try. Meanwhile, like Conte is like Chris Jericho with that like long ass list that's falling out of the ring, like settling his scores after a huge victory. It was just beautiful to watch. I will say the one thing about being a, a, the one elite thing that Mikel Arteta has mastered is the like thousand yard dead eyed stare when things aren't going his way. I mean, like you said, he is a hollowed out man, Ben. He has, there's, there's nothing in there. And when, when it all goes wrong for Arsenal, the way he just stares across the pitch, like his buddy just died in a trench is truly incredible. Yeah, I mean, he, it just reveals like how little wheels are turning up there. You know, there's just there's no ideas. This is it? Put on Pepe. <laughs> Let's see what happens. Well, on that cheery note, we have one more se- podcast left of the season. I hope it's a happy one. Uh, we will be back here early next week. Uh, I am very nervous for what should be a very simple situation for Spurs. Let's hope they handle it with the aplomb they've handled the last couple games. Uh, Let's wrap it up. Brian, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Brian underscore Ashlock. That is Brian with a Y. Benjamin, where can people find you on Twitter? You can find me on Twitter at ComradeUSpurs. You can find me on Twitter at Skipjack0079. And, of course, you can follow our podcast at WDR Podcast. That is WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. For Ben, for Brian, and, of course, for Brett Rainbow, I have been your host, Greg. Come on, you Spurs. Please, seriously, come on, you Spurs.